When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Doug Too Deep, the officially unofficial podcast for the Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back for a season one wrap up. Um, Aaron, I've had a little time to think about it, digest the season. I've got some feelings on it, but I want to know before we get into my feelings, how you're feeling about season one. Well, you know, it's um, it's one of those things where uh, you get a report card and uh, it says uh, needs improvement you know <laughs> sure it's sure. not failing it's not unsatisfactory it's just there's there's some things here that needs needs improvement and i think that's my review of uh season one um there's a couple things that the show did really well in terms of visual um i, I i'll tell you what i i read a review by alan seppenwall that really crystallized a lot of things i was thinking in terms of he made this point that when the show is singing, it kind of um, wears its heart on its sleeve in much the same way that like the Peter Jackson film does. Like, you know, um, they their characters speak tall or speak plain, stand tall. They live and die, succeed or fail on those terms. Uh, when this show tries to get cute and tries to like hide things and make things, you know, tricksy and false to create a puzzle box. That stuff seemed very weak because it's just not what this core material is about, or it's not the kind of tone that, that suits it. Um, if the showrunners can kind of learn from that, and there's a couple things as I, I read a lot of interviews and listened to a lot of interviews and read a lot of wrap up materials, and it's kind of a, a mixed bag on that case. But if they can get that and just kind of lean into the really heartfelt stuff with the the, the dwarves and the Harfoots, I think um, we'll have a, a, a series that's firing on all cylinders. As it is, I think it's missing a few cylinders every single time they tried to do a puzzle box. It seemed like it hurt the show mm-hmm. and took away from things that they could have done better if they just told it in a more straightforward, uh, straightforward manner. But it is also difficult material to adapt. It's doubly difficult since there is some kind of weird licensing wall between the material that they really want to tell the story of and the material that they actually have the license to tell. And, you know, these showrunners are very, inexperienced but it's like one of those things where it's like every time i come up with like well you know i kind of want to grade on a curve i also come back to like you know 500 million dollars is spent making this first season (laughs) and there are 500 million other shows i could be watching right it's one of those things where it's like you want to grade on a curve like i I don't do do you really want to grade on a curve when they had every resource at their disposal they possibly could have needed to be successful and Mm -hmm. i'm not when i say they i'm not talking about just Payne and mckay the showrunners yeah yeah. i'm talking about amazon studios like ultimately the um 
the middling reception the show's got, because that's what it is. Like, a mm-hmm. lot of people watched it. A lot of people enjoyed it. But you compare this, like, I think Amazon deliberately wanted you to do to House of the Dragon and its penetration into the culture, its impact on the internet measured by memes, measured by social media, measured by, you know, subreddit participation, downloads on podcasts. Like, there was a time where half of the top 20 podcasts and TV and film and iTunes were House of the Dragon. Yeah. And we were the most popular podcast in the rings of power space. And we only broke the top 20 in that first week or two. And there were only so like two or three, a handful of others that even cracked the top. The Lorehounds, like there's the, yeah, only two or three in the Lorehounds. Mm-hmm. The, so it's like, I mean, that's just the, where the, the, the proof is in the pudding or in the eating of the pudding, whatever the <laughs> phrase is sure. like, there just is this did not grip and hold people the way the other big fantasy show did, despite spending twice its budget. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then it's like he's like, well, you know, House of Dragon had the lead in of Game of Thrones. Well, you know, those Lord of the Rings films are some of the most top grossing, most decorated by Hollywood. Like everyone, you can kind of take it for granted that everyone has seen it or at least knows the cultural touchstone. So it's like, I, I, I don't know. So I, I think if I. If I was to grade on a, a curve, this is going to be like in your B, B minus territory. But if I don't, I think it's C. I think it's it's average. And then if I grade it on a real curve, it would probably be lower because it should have been better. Yeah. But, and that's that's what I mean when I say like there's so many other things you could be watching. Yeah. To, like we are in an age of television where most television is very good right now. It's hard to find yes. a, a TV show that just kind of sucks. Just fails just completely flat on its face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so for a show to spend this much money and and spend this much time and effort marketing to people oh, and the then yeah. kind of flop, because I think that's what this is. You know, uh, critically, it's a a mediocre success. I think it has like an eighty five percent critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But, but you look at the score, audience that's score. Than mediocre. Well, it- it, yeah. I mean, if you, I guess, but comparative to the budget, I don't know. I don't know. You also you also got to ask how many of those eighty five percent rested on the first two episodes that a were lot. kind of like screened for critics, um, yeah, yeah, and then were never updated as the season because like those you know we were fucking mm-hmm. high on those first two episodes. Yeah, I like those. Uh, so I I don't know. Ultimately, I'm disappointed. Is the thing I I expected more. I hoped for more. Um, and it was going to take a fair bit of success for them to get me really into this show because I have natural resistance against like high fantasy stuff though, you know, those Lord of the Rings movies were able to penetrate that and I really enjoyed those. So I thought they could do it here and I feel like they have fallen just short of that. Um, I'm not super excited for season two. I'm going to, I'm going to need to see like, some interviews and stuff as we lead into season two, talking about things they've changed, talking about uh, uh, recognizing, you know, some of the flaws of season one and what they're doing to fix those. Cause boy, if season two is another season one, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. Like they yeah. can't just go into this blind is my thing. Like they can't say, well, great job, everybody pat ourselves on the back and let's make season two exactly like that. Yeah, I'm I'm reasonably excited for season two because the thing is 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 uneven as season one did. I think where they left it, and you know, I've talked about this a lot. Like sometimes 
it doesn't matter how ugly the road was to get you at a plot point. If you arrive at it and you can put a, a season, you know, distance between you and you can then build on that next season. No one, as long as you can start doing better, no one remembers like, oh, well, you know, Halbrand was Sauron, but Jesus Christ, that was pretty shaky and it really took a blah, blah, blah. They're just remember the fact that like, oh, yeah, he's really tricksy and he is able to be. You know, they'll remember the high points, the stuff that you're supposed to remember, the mm-hmm. the the lesson the Gladriel learned about herself um, in in this 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 whole thing too. So, like, I think I was really worried with the trajectory of the show. I felt the show was on that it was going to end on a sour note, and mm-hmm. I think that's really crucial for a new show to not end on a sour note. I think it ended on a very high note and a note that has me hopeful that like they can just proceed and just learn from their mistakes and tighten up some of the things that were weaker, keep leaning into the things that are already strong, and, and it'll be fine. But um, it's funny because like I got I listened to Joanna Robinson's interview with Payne and McKay, and I got a completely different attitude about what they were reacting to, um, like the fan stuff than I got from there's a Vanity Fair article that someone sent us some feedback. We'll talk about that. Maybe in, instead of just a general thoughts, maybe it's time to get spe- specific. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Uh, so here's some things I learned from Joanna Robinson's interview with uh, J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. Uh, these are the showrunners, the inexperienced showrunners that were ru- ru- uh, running up the the Rings of Power, showrunning the Rings of Power. Uh, this is on the House of R podcast on the Ringer Network. Um, the thing I got is it seems that they are aware of the problems of the show. And as first time showrunners, they mentioned that they are watching and listening to a lot of the coverage of their show. I think experienced showrunners don't do that as much. <laughs> uh-huh. But, you know, your first time, you got to go and see what people are saying about it, right? Yeah. Um, and they made a statement that if you like the things that worked in season one, they think you're really going to like season two even even better. And they specifically made the example of Isildur that like, you know, you got this moody teenager that's joining the Navy. How, how much time do you spend serving that plot versus Galadriel and Halbrand, mm-hmm. you know, and setting up the other stuff? And I got the idea. They also had their, they they have this guiding principle that they came away with after season one is that every small scene that we have has to connect back to the larger action. And I feel like if I take those two statements together, I feel like that if the showrunners had to do over again, they would just not have Isildur in this first season. You know, if he doesn't tie directly into mm-hmm. the action, then maybe you wait to you, you, you get, you get Ellen deal you know, established and maybe you have the dichotomy between the people that loves the elves and Numenor and the people that hate the elves and Numenor mm-hmm. and are fearful of the Numenor. But like you just don't, you know, if there's if he's going to have nothing to do with the main action and maybe you just leave him off and, and you dedicate more time to Halbrand and Sauron or, you know, uh, Durin and Elrond or something like that. I think that's a good lesson for them to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to consider his sister, right? Uh, Yarian has right. some stuff clearly to do in the future here, but in season one, it wasn't vital by any stretch. So maybe yeah. you kind of wait until season two to do something with either of them. Yeah. Especially since, yeah, because like Narian, like her big hammer moment in the finale is essentially punted to season two anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, cause like I, you know, um, 
And the, the other thing is, and they didn't comment on this, but mystery. This is something that Alan Suppenwall picked up on, too. But, like, something we've been talking about. These mystery boxes. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, they're done with these mystery boxes. Because what else is there even left to unpack at this point? Like, the stranger, is he really Gandalf? Or is he one of the other blue wizards? Or is he Saruman? Like, those are mysteries of degree, not kind. It's like, you're essentially, mm-hmm. how good is he? Yeah. Not is he even good or evil or is he Sauron? Is he the arch enemy? Is he the same? That is a much better place to be. Um, Isildur's mother calling from the western shores of Numenor. I mean, honestly, they could just drop that plot point and I wouldn't give a shit either way. (laughs) So, like, there's not that many big mysteries left to unpack uh, that the show has introduced. Um you know, the Balrog, when when is the Balrog going to wake up and, and get cranky um, that, you know, but I, I don't think they're of the same magnitude. Whereas like when they started off this, there was the stranger, mm-hmm. there was Hallbrand, there's the Western Shores of Numenor, uh, <laughs> the mystery of what happened to Galadriel's elf husband. There's like a lot of <laughs> things that are I think distracting, like it, it felt very lacking in confidence for the show it's like oh if we just tell this in a straightforward manner people are not going to watch it Uh, some of my favorite shows are told in a very straightforward manner indeed um and they probably had to do something tricksy with sauron because sauron that is his whole deal he is very much like lucifer in the bible he's an angel of light that can transform himself and look pleasant to men and so they'd have to do something but like they i don't know about adding all the stuff on and like would it be a terrible thing if the audience knows that Halber and Sauron right away and it's just what you're kind of cringing a Galadriel falling into the trap? Like, sure, sure. That could have been better. I think that could have been better. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the, the trap that you can fall into as a creator who's listening and reading a bunch of things that are written on the Internet about their work is taking to heart the wrong lessons. Um, it, I, yeah. I have to imagine it's very hard to sift out the things that you should actually change and the things that people are complaining about just because they want to complain. Um, so I, I don't know. I wish them luck on that. I think it's going to be quite the challenge to, to make season two significantly better than season one. Why do you think that again? I, I just think there, there was a lot of noise on the internet. I saw mm. people complaining about every little thing like with the lore change from, from lore changes to like, the way people like wrinkled their brows when they reacted to somebody's line, right? Like they yeah. got so it, it felt like there was a natural bias against this show from the jump, like from when that first trailer came out and people just kind of bandwagoned this thing uh, in a yeah. really bad way. And I don't think it deserved that, but I do think it's going to be hard to separate the noise from the actual signal when figuring out what to change in season two. Yeah, you're right. And it, it's it's tough, too, because you had this whole spectacle of like it wasn't just. Not all the criticism, I think, was was on the face of what I would consider good faith too. you had people that were Agreed. upset because they're lore purists and, you know, that they they're clearly having to tell a different version of this, this sacred canon. You had people who are, you know, all upset from a culture war standpoint about, you know, what race their different elves are and whether right. the female dwarves are fuckable or whatever their, <laughs> their, their stuff is. I And then um, you had those you, assholes who got all, you know, pissed off about the uh, 
Mount Doom volcano stuff. I mean, those people. Right. Those boy, guys that just couldn't get over the volcanology of it all. And just right? like, you know, spent, spent, <laughs> you know, if you could re, if you could re- redo an ep- a season of podcasting, uh, maybe not spend three hours on that. But, uh-huh. you know, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I it, it, you never get a, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Mm-hmm. And this is, it's it's not a bad impression because especially if you watch just the first couple of episodes and are like, okay, this is amazing. And then kind of lost the plot. Like, I, you know, a year, 18 months from now when the uh, packing tape on Amazon packages start having the ring of power on it again. Mm-hmm. And when it's starting to advertise in theaters, I'll, I bet a lot of people will see the visuals and be like, you know what? That did look cool. And I did want, like watch those first. And, I, yeah. and it's one of those things where it's, this isn't a long series, like eight hours and you're done. Uh-huh. It's a fast binge. Um, it's got a lot of good things going for it because it didn't exactly make a bad first impression. It just didn't make a good first impression, a universally good first impression. Yeah, and I think this series is set up to succeed no matter what. I mean, it's a property that even fans who are going to get pissed off about lore changes and, you know, uh, social justice shit uh, in their mm-hmm. shows and they hate that, mm-hmm. they're they're still watching this show, right? Like, it's evident every yeah. single week they come back to complain about the latest thing that happened in this series that I hate. I'm so pissed yeah. off. But they're going to keep watching it. So this show is going to succeed. I think it's going to be a big hit for Amazon. It's just, can it live up to the quality standards that I hoped it would live up to when we first heard about it? Yeah. And will Amazon, is it, if it's a big hit, is it going to be something where they do the dollars, the eyeballs math and think it's, it's worth it because my God, you spend $500 billion on something. I'm sorry, 500 million. (laughs) They're not the U S (laughs) government. This isn't the this isn't the U.S. military are, government. Are they it's, bailing out Numenor? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> it's too big to fail. The rings of power are too big to fail. You spend five hundred million dollars on something, you better get a big hit out of it. Yeah. Um, but again, HBO got three, four times the bang for buck on half the money. So. I wonder if it just um, happened to line up with when House of the Dragon came out and what they were really looking at was like, when do most of our Amazon Prime subscriptions expire? What month? Uh, and we're like, well, let's straddle that that line there. Get it. Get them with the first like month of of Rings of Power and then I they'll renew wonder if for this a year. is a big black third, you know, like a uh, Black Friday play. That like people maybe hmm. you, that you start subscribing in October and November because, you know, like a lot of people decide I want to do my Christmas shopping smart because of the pan whatever for whatever yeah. reason. And they're like, we have a big standing wave of renewals. Let's hit them with some value and keep them get, get them ponying up that 117 or whatever. 139. What the hell are like they 150? It's the 180. Know? It's getting up there. Uh, it's gotten it's gotten a lot more expensive over the years for sure. But and then they'll have Amazon Prime through the holidays, so they might as well shop there, right? Yeah, right. It could be. Right. It could be. So the other thing that I thought was interesting from these interviews, and this is again from the Joanna Robinson interview on the House of R, is uh, they said they intentionally were giving an homage to the Iron Giants when the stranger said, "I am good," and and blew the bad guys away. So I was okay. that that. I can't help but be charmed by that. Uh, so I think they need to do more Iron Giant, less Lost. <laughs> Fair. 
You know, Iron Giant yeah. is not, it is a kind of a puzzle box movie, but not really. And it wears its heart on its sleeve. And I think that's what you need for Tolkien because if all, all above all else, Tolkien was a very earnest person and his writings come across that way. Um, do you have any other just kind of general thoughts on the rings of power or, cause we also have quite a bit of feedback from the listeners to dis- discuss. Uh, no, I think we should get to the feedback. There's a lot more rings of power to ponder. We'll be back right after this short break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now, let's dig a little deeper on Dug Too Deep. All right, so JP is up first. He says, just to piss you off, uh, he sent an interview on Screen Rant uh, with the uh, Payne and McKay. Uh, and they asked them, did you or were you were you this is a counterpoint to the apparently the Robinson interview where they asked him, like, you know, have you been paying attention to the commentary on your show? And they said, J.D. Payne says, we're certainly listening to the critics and to our audiences. You don't want to give any one voice too much, too much weight, but figure out instead what people are responding to in the aggregate. I don't know if I want to point to any specifics. And McKay jumps in and says, my immediate reaction to that question is no, not that we aren't paying attention to the responses the show is having. I don't know how you could shut it out. The second season has been written for some time now, and the storytelling grows and goes in different directions. That is informed by what we learned in our season one on our own. There are things that seem to really work and others that didn't work as well as we might have hoped. The storytelling will be different next time, not because of the response to the show, but because of the experience of making the show for us. Mm, uh, I appreciate the fact that they probably had a bulk of season two written before season one aired, but like if they don't use any of the feedback, like if this is all stuff that came from within them two very inexperienced showrunners, um, I gotta say this is a lot scarier than the way they were talking on the other breakdowns that I read. This, this smacks a lot more of the Picard writing room where they're yeah, like yeah probably. we don't give a shit about what people are saying and they just the season two was yeah <laughs> banger season premiere mm-hmm. and then quickly oh no oh no oh god no is where we got <laughs> with season two of picard so yeah and i think we'll know halfway through season two whether you know whatever process they have of integrating audience feedback works or doesn't because the show will either lean into the right things and lean away from the right and i keep comparing this to foundation i feel the exact same way uh david escoyer when we're talking to him said you know similar things about hey they're learning from audience reactions and they're going to you know scale back this and scale and like if they're talking like in the case of foundation if they're talking about oh, we actually got a demographic and it's a lot younger than we thought, so we're going to lean more into pointless action scenes that don't really have anything to do with the main plot. I'm scared. But if they're like, <laughs> sure. actually, our metrics show that our audience skews a little bit older and they're a little more cerebral and that we want to like maybe lean more into the mystery and the plot and less, then that's, a, and, and I won't know until I've seen a significant portion of season two which way they lean with this. So like, 
and, and again, like they're not saying they're not listening. It's just mm-hmm. what they're saying is what they are getting back. I think if you read this fairly, the screen ran an article fairly and synthesize it with the other stuff they were saying. It's that the response they got largely mirrored their own reaction to their work when they saw it come together. Like, ah, this Isildur stuff's not really working. Ah, we spent a little bit too much time on this and shortchanged that. Oh, we probably shouldn't have built up the apocalyptic end of season or episode six. And then no one really dies of any import or, oh, we should have made the person that died more important. If, 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 I mean, that's, that's fair. Cause like, you know, I, I think that shows a self-awareness of your work, but yeah. like, I yeah. don't have any faith in this production yet. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no history with it yet. This is the first we're creating the history right now. Um, so yeah, it could take, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. What's the opposite of a sophomore slump? Uh, we we called it the second. Like a lot of times in the early days of bald movie, talk about the second stage rocket igniting. Right, like Justified. Right, Justified had a yeah. mediocre to okay season one, and then season two was amazing. Yeah. So, or Breaking Bad got interrupted by the strike, and it's like what mm-hmm. was there was strong, but it wasn't. It it felt like it wasn't a full statement and then season two like so like yeah you got a sophomore slump versus the second stage ignition yeah so i'm hoping for the second stage uh cena says thank you for the podcast it's been an enjoyable season just wondering if you have given any thought to the apple being a biblical reference to the tree of knowledge from nori to the stranger you know apples kept on showing up this season you got uh isildur stealing stealing an apple from his horses mm-hmm you got Nori giving an apple to the stranger to make applesauce. Uh, what's your thoughts on the deeper meaning of the forbidden fruit? I mean, is is the knowledge who he is? What he is? Um, I guess maybe I maybe I could see it there, but it's it's more of a stretch, I think, than I'm used to seeing with apple references. Yeah, I think it's if it is intended at all, it's a very light touch, which I think mm-hmm. is perfectly fine. Sure. Um, but also, like, I'm reminded of, like, you know, we're talking about Freud. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes an <laughs> apple is just an apple. Sometimes an apple is just something you give somebody for a, a convenient a convenient treat. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, and it works both ways, I think. Uh, Dire Nair says, I've seen the moths, the affinity for the proto-hobbits to go back to the shadows and always follow your nose, all pushing us to believe this is Gandalf. Still, some of the lore folk wanted to see blue wizards, but can both not be true in this show? At the end of the season, we see two people, one confirmed wizard, heading off with a mission to Rune. Could they become the East Helper and Darkness Slayer, the Ithran Luin of the Second Age? Gandalf explains himself at the end of the books. They call me Gandalf in the north, Mithrander in the south. Alorin was my was I in my youth to the west. To the east, I will not go. The Blue Wizard's mission, on in contrast, was to the east and south of Middle Earth, as they were never seen or heard of again. Is this an opportunity for the show to explore a veiled trauma of a past life experience as a proto-Gandalf? The show's already shown how the mind can be veiled. If their mission goes south, pardon the pun, and the stranger dies or sacrifices himself at the end, he could return to Valinor with a blank mind, not remembering who the blue blue wizards were and why he refuses to go east, because he's already been there and it was terrible. This is going to upset the lore, Pyrrhus. I'm sure. Eh, I don't know. I... 
So I don't I honestly I don't have a problem with this. Like if you want to say that the reason Gandalf doesn't remember the East is because he had this horrifying experience with his other blue wizard companions and he got destroyed and resent back and his mind wiped. I that that's fine. That's fine in a R2D2 C3PO prequel kind of way. Yeah. I'm really rooting for Saruman because that is a way that if you can change how a person feels about Saruman watching the Peter Jackson trilogy, that's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that they could do to change your mind about Dan- Gandalf in the trilogy. <laughs> like, no. add a layer of trauma to him. You know, well, the fucker got killed by a Balrog and sent back. Like, you know, how much more traumatic can the blue shit be? Especially on this show. This mm-hmm. is not House of the Dragon. You know, they're not going to, like, do some elaborate... For, for yeah. six years, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're not. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to peel his dick and and mm-hmm. cut off his pinkies and and tear <laughs> off his nipples and pot pokers up the butt. Who knows? Who knows? They're not going to do that. Right. Right. So like, can it be worse than fighting, than falling through the earth and fighting a Balrog to death? Like, I, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But you can. We've been told how magnificent Saruman was before his fall, how kind and how persuasive and how powerful he was and what a force for organizing force for good he was seeing that and seeing like maybe how he turned dark and or, or maybe just simple jealousy and pride got in his way. I, I think that would be a real accomplishment and why I'm hoping that it is Saruman and not Gandalf that we're seeing here. Although I, I do admit they are definitely leaning way into the Gandalf yeah. of, of everything here. No, I like the Saruman idea a lot better. Uh, Adam says, I want to offer what might be a rare perspective. My partner, an elder millennial, has never seen the Lord of the Rings or read the books. It's been interesting watching her and seeing how much the show leans on prior knowledge. She doesn't know who Sauron is other than he's vaguely evil. She doesn't know who Gandalf is other than that he was a magic guy or something. She has almost no prior knowledge. It really made it hard for her to care about things that I'm taking for granted as interesting. The identity of the Meteor Man, Halbrin being Sauron, the creation of Mordor, etc. She doesn't even understand why the rings are all that important other than that they're saving the elves somehow because the show assumes you know what's coming. She Hmm. complains she's always feeling like she's missing something. You contrast this with the Watchmen show, which she loved, another thing based on a movie she hasn't seen, where even if you know none of the source material, they explain within the show why everything matters and who people are. I really think for season two to do well, they need to start writing as though no one has seen the other movies. Not in everything gets a tedious backstory info dump sort of way, but more in a building the foundations of the story and knowledge that's all contained in other media. Try watching some episodes again from the mindset of not ever having heard of the name Gandalf or Sauron or Galadriel before, and you can see what I mean. Yeah, I see it. But my question is, is it a problem? Like... Imagine skipping the Godfather and going right to Godfather 2 and Mm -hmm. someone being like, I don't know why I should care about this Vito guy. They keep flashing back to this weird kid and this guy and then they're flashing back to and like, I don't get it. And it's like not everything has to be for everyone. And I think it's a fair assessment that assumption rather that watching the Rings of Power, you've probably seen 10 hours worth of Peter Jackson stuff. Like your your elder millennial partner to the contrary, most people yeah. have some kind of affection for some material. And if you're a parent going to sit down and watch the series with your child, you probably started with the Peter Jackson show or God help you, the Hobbit. You know, 
Uh, sure. I mean, if you haven't seen anything of the Lord of the Rings at this point, you're an outlier for sure. Uh, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're shooting for a mass mainstream thing here. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, I definitely see that they could give a little bit more info um, about some things without it feeling info dumpy. And it, I think you can do it pretty elegantly. It's just, that's a hard thing to do because you don't want to bore the people who already know. Well, here's, I think this goes back to the real indictment, of the mystery box. If you're not a fan of the show or if you're not a fan of the movies, these mm-hmm. mystery boxes hold no fascination for you whatsoever. Right. And that's not the case when I can think of things like Lost. Like, you know, obviously they were built in on it, like when they're showing polar bears running around on a, you know, a tropical island and the smoke monster. You don't have to know any deep lore to be like, what the fuck is that? Why the fuck is this happening? Right. It just kind of grips you. Um, whereas this kind of like, well, is this person Gandalf or Saruman or Sauron? And people are like, who the fuck are you even talking about? Uh-huh. You know, and like not getting to the rings of power till the very final episode. Uh, not discussing the need, not being straightforward with why do we need this happen until halfway through the season with the Mithril arc. They they really like like this might be uniquely something that you just you just ha- you either have to see the stuff that it's re- that is based on or you're going to fundamentally be lost and and maybe McKay and Payne are too big of fanboys to understand because we've always said that like you know people a lot of times um, this try to dismiss our criticism of something by saying well. If you'd seen all seven seasons of the Clone Wars, you'd understand that this right, Mandalorian, right. blah, blah, blah. I'm like, look, if I have to watch 70 hours of something to enjoy six hours of something else, that's a fucking failure. Um, sure, but this is like saying, well, if you'd seen the original trilogy of Star Wars, you would understand. I mean, everybody yes. has seen that, right? It's You're an if outlier if you Star haven't Wars, seen Star yeah. Wars. So, I, 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 Yeah, I'm... I, I was when I first got this email, that's one of my go to examples of like, okay, my wife is not a big Star Wars fan. When I when we went to go see The Force Awakens, what was her reaction? And I gotta say, like I just my wife still remains not a big Star Wars fan. Okay. <laughs> so fine. like is it like but but like I think those movies are again, it's like, well, if you don't care about lightsabers and the force why the fuck would you care about any of these people? Yeah. Maybe that's true. I suppose. You know, it's like, well, the empire and all oh, the rebels and, um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but it is, that's one bit. That is a big question. It's like, why do you spend $500 billion to make <laughs> again? Million. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. $500 million to spend on a series where, you know, that there's going to have to be a lot of pre invested, knowledge on it again 20 year old series at this point but there is i mean when you think fantasy you think lord of the rings period i mean even martin has not been able to crack the fantasy nut the way that the lord of the rings has the tolkien has right yeah it's like i guess if you're telling the story of jesus christ in america you would have to start (laughs) genesis right yeah i mean most people are familiar with the lore right Uh uh-huh but um, it does. It, it, but I, what I think, which um, what Adams 
what what it points to is there's definitely like an upper limit. Like if you, mm-hmm. it would be better if you could go into this series blind and enjoy it for what it is, and then have a greater impre- uh, appreciation for the trilogy that you get to when you finally get to it, if you get to it. Yeah, I heard from many many people that Better Call Saul. Yep worked regardless of whether you had seen breaking bad <laughs> maybe maybe up until the end but yes yes ah uh, uh but by the end oh well see i that's where i should have watched the final season shouldn't i <laughs> it's okay you'll get um, to it yeah but, but yeah I, those are i that's the ideal condition right where like i don't have to have seen any of it and this will all feel good and make sense but if i have it adds to it it makes it richer and that's the maddening thing is I don't know why. I think another 15, 20 minutes of material and they could have brought people along like your girlfriend, Adam, and not missed a beat. But instead, we got a whole bunch of shots of feckless Isildur and his sister and, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson Jr. fucking around on the boat. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, John H says overall is entertained by the rings of power. I don't mind bending the lore. After all, this is a made up world anyway, but a couple of items stick out to me as sloppy and confusing and I haven't heard anyone discuss first in episode seven. When the villagers are recovering, Bronwyn says they're going to relocate to an old Numenorian colony. I swear as established a couple episodes earlier that Numenor hadn't visited middle earth in a long time and are basically isolationist. So how is there a colony second, since they were able to solve the, the, elves tree rot with a chunk of mithril the size of my thumb what was the point of the Durin storyline was some of the most enjoyable writing and acting but at the end of the season they accomplished the goal without all the effort and angst Durin had to endure well they didn't know they could right they needed the right. dark lord to come help them out to tell them hey have you ever thought about combining two different metals yeah and I think it's I think it's going to be so we know that in the third age, there's a considerable amount of enmity between the dwarves and the elves. And I I think I'm giving them license to tell a story of how things got that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, is it leftover bitterness of you? We needed the mithril and you didn't need and, and you didn't give it to us versus, well, did you really need the mithril versus, you know, uh, during the third dies and during the fourth takes over. And now they're like, this kingdom's rich as fuck because of mithril. And that that greed fueling and and like, you know, kind of like heedless ambition fueling the Balrog issue. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think they're 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 building tracks to like some kind of tragedy there. Um, yeah. So that doesn't bother me I, about the Numenorian colony. I don't I think you're right. But also a Numenorian co- like um, it could have been a hundred years and the colony still exists in some form, but Numenor has kind of withdrawn for, from middle earth politics for that mm-hmm. period of time. But I don't know. Like I said, Numenor is, is I think a big fucking mess. I yeah. really don't think Largely your average agree. show only watcher could really tell you what the national character of Numenor is, you know, and, and how the queen's blindness is going to affect her and what this alpha his own guys doing. And, um yeah i think it's 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 the biggest it's the biggest question mark in the series for me right now um cw says you guys were joking about it but i think bezos would totally show up as an uncredited orc after all he made an uncredited uh, cameo in star trek beyond an overrated underrated movie in my humble opinion uh never saw it yeah, it wasn't my favorite Star Trek, but I and I did not know this, but apparently, yeah, Jeff Bezos under heavy makeup. It's like a full face prosthetic. Like you can't really recognize it's just as his mouth and his eyes are the same 
Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe put a cowboy hat on him. He'd recognize him. Uh, but he shows up as a rando Starfleet person, uh, alien. Uh, so I now knowing this, I think you got to get Jeffrey into the orc makeup. You got to. <laughs> sure. Or an int. I would like to see it. An int? An okay. Int. Yeah. Billy says, <laughs> it seems clear that the only reason to pretend Celeborn is dead is to free up Galadriel romantically. Boom, Chickawawa on the elf line here. My question is whether there's going to be an armed rebellion of Tolkien Pyrrhus when we find out in season two that Galadriel is pregnant after her journey with Sauron to Eregion and therefore Arwen is really <laughs> Sauron's granddaughter. Did Sauron succeed in taking over Gondor through Arwen's line? What say you? I think the purist would be rightly pissed off mm-hmm. if uh, the dark one corrupts the line of of, of, of Numenor. <laughs> or, yeah, Gondor. I, yeah, I don't I don't know about that. I don't yeah. know about that. Um, but I do think that this question, though, to take it seriously, one thing about establishing Galadriel's husband as missing or dead is that it does free up, I think, in the audience's mind, the people that know about the lore that like maybe Galadriel will fall for this this uh, Halbrand guy. Hmm. They didn't do they, like. But the thing is, is like. I feel like if they were going to do that and have it work, they should have or they should establish it much earlier in the series so that you could from the jump think that like maybe Halbrand and her would hook up because that never I know people said that like, oh, there's a little romance. I never got any of that. It's the slightest tinge. Yeah, I, I agree. They did not lean into it, which makes me think it wasn't really intentional or or yeah. there's some sort of seduction that that Sauron is trying to pull here, right? In the final episode, for sure. Right. And so I, I assume that is what's happening. It wasn't a seduction, like a romantic seduction. It was more like a powerful, uh, like, like, hey, don't you want all the power I can give you? Uh, that kind of yeah. seduction. I mean, what does it even mean for a Maillard to want a fucking elf? It's more sure, like, yeah, conceptual. Right. Seduction. But, but at times I did read it as romantic um, with just a couple of looks, but it was very subtle. So if that's what they were going for, they did not do enough there. Yeah, um, but that, that, but again, I, there, I, boy, that seems like something they could have done a lot better. Like, I, I still to this day don't know why they just don't have, you know, Galadriel looking at two trees saying, I lost my brother, I lost my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, have that built in. Like, why did they come up as a hammer that she used in her conversation with, um, God, what was that kid's name? Theo. Toby. Theo. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, but I, I don't. I don't like the idea that Arwen is secretly half Sauron. Uh, Sarah Atrum, Ohio, fellow Buckeye. So we saw Halbrand's, uh forge a sweet sword in Numenor. I remember you being all like, "Yeah, shows he's got some mad skills." In that scene in the blacksmith shop for the first time. And that's when I thought initially that he was probably going to be Sauron. Why else would this random Southerner be able to work metal like that? Now, taking a look at that sword, is that the same sword that Galadriel gives to Theo? little of that dark power in there, don't you think? Maybe this sword comes back around next season and Sauron uses it to influence Theo and the rest of the elves or the men of the South. Man, 
one of the potential weaknesses of the prop design in this show is there weren't very much in the way of recognizable hero weapons. Hmm. You know, like when you think of the fellowship, you could at a glance tell if someone's tight holding a weapon, it was Gimli, Legolas, Gandalf, Arwen or Aragorn, or even Boromir. Cause Boromir mm-hmm. had the distinctive shield that set him apart. Um, not so much in this show. Like, I didn't feel like they had, like, recognizable hero weapons where it's like, if you saw someone drawing it, it's like, oh, that's Galadriel's blade. That's so-and-so's blade. Yeah, so it was a Finrod uh, blade, but that was about it. The dagger. Yeah, that was, the, and that, because that, they needed to be distinctive, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the three lines that clearly they identified early in the, the breaking the show. So, I don't know. I do think that this is interesting that dovetails nicely with our next email that we're going to read. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's an interesting possibility, but it's not something I'm going to like wager internet points on. Gotcha. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what that sword looked like. I know it was fancy. Um, I know it was yeah. very impressive, but yeah. if that's the one she gave to Theo, then I wouldn't have known. So Evan, like I said, this is the one that dovetails, I think, nicely at this theory. Is it possible that next season one of the twists will be the Bronwyn is actually evil? Only circumstantial evidence, but hear me out. She's from a region that historically served Sauron. Her son became a strange connection, or has some strange connection to Sauron's blade. We still don't know what was in Halbrin's pouch, but she recognized the symbol immediately. And if Sauron's royal line, or the Southern royal line, did break over a thousand years like the elf records say he did, stated, why would she recognize it? Finally, Bronwyn and Arendir's relationship fails because she's actually evil. It would explain why it's not known or written about like other elf men relationships. I think she didn't support Adar because she's so evil. She didn't truly, or she knew she, he wait. I think she didn't support Adar because she is so evil. She knew he truly didn't have the juice as Tupac would say, and was awaiting her true dark Lord Sauron. I rest my case, your honors, toss her in a pyroclastic flow and may Eru have mercy on her soul. I don't know that Bronwyn's evil, but I do think that Bronwyn loves her son, like most mothers do, and I felt like they dismissed the is Theo going to be evil a little too neatly this episode, this season. Mm-hmm. And if you combine the previous email of like, what if this gift, you know, like like that that uh, Halbrin made this sword as a gift to Galadriel that was tinged with evil, and she passed it to Theon. This gift of Sauron secondhand turning him evil, and that makes brought like because you know if she's going to side with her son or Middle Earth, like probably a good chance she sided with her son. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fascinating thing in the same vein of like Elrond despairing over Isildur, saying no to the like you know the Arendir might count on her, and she's going to side with her son rather than whatever the cause of good. That seems like good drama. Yeah, no, I could see it. Um, there goes the Alfirin Garden. Sorry, Aaron Deer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's... And then, then I, like I said, uh, he, he, and Evan, i got to say, parenthetically shouted his wife out for that one. Uh, he, you know, we've talked about, like, it's not every day that elves and humans couple, and when they do, it's usually a story of song that's written about and recorded, and this one mm-hmm. isn't. Well, if they don't get together because it turns out she goes evil... Or her son betrays her and she gets killed or something like that. That would make a lot of sense. I, I do think that 
they're lampshading this as a doomed relationship. It's got to be. That's what I was thinking. Star-crossed lovers type of thing that just is not even going to work out the way Baron and Luthien did. Like that's a yeah. tragedy, but at least they had or Arwen and 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 uh, um, uh, Aragorn. Like you know, they did have happiness for a time, but that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they had enough of a relationship to get written about. I don't think it's going to develop into an actual relationship here, right? They're, they keep they, they keep putting off the the sort of consummation of that relationship with the I love you from Aaron Deer, right? Um, he said yeah. it in every way but words, and he won't say it in words. And like, yeah, yeah I think it's going to fall apart before it has time to blossom. Um. John from London says, following the latest, the final episode, rather, I took some time to sit and read through the Lord of the Rings appendices. Wow. Reading just six pages of Tolkien on the Numenorean Kings and Annex A made me realize how much Amazon blew it with the Rings of Power. The actual story of Numenor is so well crafted and cool. I wish they'd just taken the time to do a proper job and tell it faithfully rather than the mixed up series they served us. I'm glad you said that, John, because that was my impression, too. It's like... Yeah, you can get into danger with doing the elves and first age stuff, but like a lot of the, the 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 bullet points you need to make a good Numenorean story is in the appendixes, and I don't understand why it seems like minor spoilers for the series, I guess, but like the thing that that fueled the Numenor resentment of the elves was the fact that they died. And it just seems cosmically unfair from a man, especially the, the the greater you become as a man and you're doing all these great works and you know that you're never going to be. A, and you see these elves building these perfect jeweled palaces to their immortality mm-hmm. that they are, you know, willing to strip mine Middle Earth to maintain at all costs. And yet you're just supposed to go gracefully in the old age and death. What the fuck? And. There's a little bit of like they, they've injected like modern politics where it's like these elves work too hard and they live forever and they never get tired. And how can we compete economically against the power? But like, damn, that's such a imagine. Imagine how much you'd hate immigrants if they just literally live forever and never got sick. <laughs> sure. Yeah. They're coming to our didn't country. Didn't need bathroom breaks, right? Didn't. Yeah. They're didn't coming to our country. And, and not only are their children going to replace us, it's just going to be them. These fuckers uh-huh. are going to outlive us and just take us up. Like, I think there would be some real resentment. And that is completely absent in this text. And it kind of blows my mind. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't read it, but it sounds like people like it. We got a lot of rings of power to ponder. We'll be right back after this short break. And now let's dig a little deeper on Doug Too Deep. Um, Alex finally says, I just had the right and to say, I feel like everything incoherent about Sauron's plan and luck meeting with Galadriel can be easily explained if we take what Sauron is saying at face value. He was at sea because of his confrontation with Adar. He had no real plan and then he met Galadriel and he gave them that gave him some kind of hope again. My understanding of the character is that up until he met Galadriel, he's probably not going to be on the path that leads him to the Dark Lord he we know he becomes. In that way, Gilglad was right. The Gladrail chasing Sauron is what makes him come back. It's a neat bow on the first episode. Neat bow, rather. I mm-hmm. uh, hope to see you guys come back for season two. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I The thing is, is I feel like they fucked it up. Like, 
they put the thumb a little bit too hard on a scale of Sauron's just evil, actually. And I think it would have been a better show if he himself was conflicted. And like, cause it just felt like he was telling Gladriel lies. Well, they got to scenes where I thought they had breakthroughs, right? There was that scene where she's trying to convince him to come back to middle earth with him or with her. And I I felt like there was a genuine breakthrough there. Uh, So that was a pretty strong scene, but yeah, they, they didn't have enough of those quality scenes and they had a few, uh, minor missteps in there. I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't the worst part of the show to me. Yeah, especially when I found that from John when I was listening to the Lorehounds that like a lot of that's in canon. The fact that like there's a little bit of doubt in the canon about you know um, when Sauron came back and wormed his way into the good graces of elves. There was a lot of debate about like, well, is this because he? genuinely wants to do better is it because he sees his mm-hmm. master being banished to the outer darkness and he doesn't want that so he's like well i'm i'll say whatever i need to say to get clemency um is there you know because like that's also something i feel like that was in tolkien's work the idea that literally anyone could redeem themselves just most people are too prideful or you know otherwise have shortcomings that keep them from doing that but um I felt like they leaned a little too hard for how cagey they were that Sauron is just just pretty much evil. And he's trying to um, and he's going to try for 10, five or 10 minutes to convince Galadriel to be on his side. And when she doesn't accept him, he's going to, you know, explode with rage and, uh, you know, run off. Like, I, I, I don't know. I felt like. Yeah, I do like the reading, though, that like he was just playing it straight the whole time. You know, he was telling her things that she was interpreting a certain way, but were the truth, like that he was lost, didn't have a path forward. And um, yeah, all, all that stuff about like, hey, Galadriel kind of caused the thing that she was fighting against here makes a lot of sense. Do you think... <sighs> Does this does this does this kind of like I guess cheapen the reveal a little bit or that's not what I, I want to say about cheapen does it does it make it seem a little too just so like because you're talking about the vast times you know we're talking about thousands of years in the second age like Adar literally just killed him and drove him off and he happened to get on a ship and happened to be almost shipwrecked by the by this worm right as Galadriel fell you know it's like. Does it seem a little too cosmically coincidental? I I guess yeah. If you if you want to pick at that, I I certainly could see it. But also like a lot of stories are like that. We're we're telling the most interesting version of the story, right? Not the one where, oops, Sauron just missed Galadriel by like a mile, didn't see her, and he just floated off forever, right? Yeah, I also wish that there was more evidence that like Sauron actually was trying to heal middle earth. Like, sure. Like, like when they find the evil tower where all this stuff was going down and maybe Galadriel could have said like, this looks so suspiciously like elven architecture or there could have been like a, like, like some kind of garden at the heart of this like winter fortress that like was full of life and energy. And maybe Sauron was trying to sacrifice orcs to make it happen. And he had, but like that there's some evidence that he, because like he's in his dark tower with this black, you know, obsidian 
uh, fucking uh, uh, anvil that he's hammering on, and there's all these skulls and very recognizably mm-hmm. bar door type architecture. It's like so, like yeah, like I did. I, to me, it's just a funny concept, like this flaming eye and his evil tower. Like, hee, I tried to grow things. I tried to heal. <laughs> like it's just like it's. I don't know. I don't. It's like if uh, like they said that was Shalab, right? Like you know, uh-huh. like this giant gloom weaver, terrifying, hideous spider. It's like oh, she's actually crocheting uh mittens for babies up in Sirathun Gold because she regretted what she did in the second age. Like, eh, I don't know. Like they could have leaned a little bit further into Sauron being a deceiver and for like Galadriel being like, this doesn't like what was what what was the enemy trying to do up here? It's so it's so unlike him. And then but I don't know. It just seems like all that was bullshit. And you're supposed to understand that he's really tr- truly evil to his core. And he was only ever trying to fool people, which is okay too. But sure, sure, that doesn't—that's not worth the mystery box. You could have had us along on the joke the whole time if you wanted to tell that straightforward story. Am I correct in in thinking that Adar is not in the books? Oh, Adar no. is a, no, 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 a show creation. No, yeah, I'm wrong yeah. about that. No, no, you are not wrong. You're not okay. Wrong. I, I wonder if it wouldn't have benefited from combining those stories a bit more. Like maybe. Hmm have Sauron be the one who's like talking about trying to unite middle earth. Um, you know, cause, cause I felt like they were two very separate things that ultimately like converged at the end. And I guess that's the part that felt a little too neat to me is that you'd have two forces working toward the same end goal unknowingly. And each one of them like had half the puzzle. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's cool slightly too, too like, cute on that. Like seeing Adar reject because like that that tracks too. It's like, oh, well, if you're healing the damage done to Middle Earth, the orcs and my twisted elf ass are specifically the damage that's done. You're wanting to kill us all. You're wanting to do away with us all or you're wanting to fix us. What the fuck does that mean? Like, I, and I know that yeah, I thought of Adar was Adar was kind of a better character in a lot of regards than <laughs> than Halbrin slash Sauron was. I'm telling you. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm very curious to see what they do with Adar in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I really hope like the season two doesn't, it doesn't open with like Saruman having, having cut Adar's head off and standing <laughs> on his corpse and like, you know, binding the orcs back to his will. And it's just like, yeah, yeah now we can like, that will be so disappointing, but also, Nah, they probably will. There, there's going to be a, a war for the Southlands, and it's going to be like a war for the soul of the people. And whether you know, because you've got you got you have Waldred, who's like just thrilled that the real guy's back, and you'll also have the the quote unquote good humans of the South remembering Halbrin as their hero, mm-hmm. and they can do some really interesting stuff with that. But that there's not a lot of room for a yeah. Dar there, right? He feels like the guy who was just supposed to create Mordor, and that's it. But but they got to do some. He's such a good character. I would hate to lose him in the next season. Um, yeah. But I don't know. We definitely where he goes will from lose here. him. Like, make no mistake, unless they're going to radically alter canon. Like, Adar is eventually going to have to go the way of the Dodo, or he's going to have sure. to be, you know, subsumed by Sauron's will. Because by the third age, we know that orcs are all singing out of Sauron's hymn book. So, yeah, I just want to see how a guy who seems to be so aligned with the goals of Sauron could profess to not be working for Sauron. Um, yeah. And who he actually is, right? Because Halbrand 
asked him, you know, do you recognize me? And I, I, I want to know all about that. Uh, I want to yeah. know why he wouldn't recognize him and, and yeah, what happened with Adar? I think you need to recognize him because Sauron's running around in his horrifying spike crown evil guy thing when he was dead. Now he's coming back as this good looking southern southern dude. Just never took it off. Yeah. Uh, And then, like I said, Alex says, I hope to see you guys come back for season two. I'm I mean, I will say that unless there's some crazy scheduling issue (laughs) and I'm like I'm trying to think of like what that would be. I will come back because number one, I did enjoy the show for what it was. Um, and I do think that there's enough that I've seen from the showrunners where they're hinting that they might fix a lot of the problems I had going forward. And they didn't do, I, I don't think the show is so bad. It did a reparable damage to the main storyline where I'm just like, fuck Elrond, fuck Galadriel, mm-hmm. fuck the Harfoots, fuck the stranger. No, no. Like most of the people that you would name as named characters in the show, I have a vested interest to see where they're going. Mm-hmm. Um, and, to be candid, this is a big show. Like this is uh, a, a a podcast ratings on the order of like Westworld. You know, yeah, in that which neighborhood. Is not coming back uh, as best we can tell. Is, so yeah, it doesn't look like it's coming back. So like, if this show has a as a bright five six season future ahead of it, I want in, and mm-hmm. I can't think of the thing that would come back in the order that it would, where I would be, you know. I hope it doesn't try to duke it out with Hot D again because it's just yeah, boy, it didn't do any, didn't do many favors this season that comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's I I feel very strongly because it number one it's it seems like people um and I was a little worried that people would be turned off by our coverage because we are pretty critical of the show. I don't think unfairly so, but we are critical of it. That that doesn't seem to have been a problem again. Like find a, a more popular Lord of the Rings Rings of Power podcast. Sure. Uh, just 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 through metrics than ours it doesn't seem like their 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 one exists um so yeah i'm i'm definitely going to come back uh it might like if they if this season is worse than season 1 then i can see myself jumping ship pretty quickly gotcha. um but i definitely they've done enough with the especially the finale to earn my Tolkien loyalty to come back for next season what what do you think jim yeah i'm i'm so this is not my forte right the the fantasy stuff um this is a risky prospect for you to cover day one for sure yeah and with you know house to dragon on and walking dead on and look i know walking dead is not good um but we had to cover for the the final season here and it's the opposite you love zombies that's like one of your first uh-huh. loves oh yeah so. yeah I, I love zombies and and horror stuff and then uh I I really love House of the Dragon. So like all that stuff was getting me excited and I was having fun covering that. Rings of Power, I wasn't having as much fun covering and it's because of the workload. If I, if I were able to, you know, dig into that a little bit more, if it hits next season in a time where we have a little less to cover, uh, I could definitely see coming back. But I'm, I'm going to want to like take a look at the lead up to season two. If they're talking like nothing needed to be changed and we we were always good to go here. I'm going to be kind of side-eyeing the show saying, well, I was not that interested in season one. Uh, it had its bright spots, but is that enough to keep me coming back? We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Because I'm sure there are like- plenty of people that you know personally or that would love to do a podcast uh, covering it. I, I mean, we have... Another podcast, you know, on the Bald Move Network that's covering this, the Lorehounds. Um, 
it, it, who who knows what kind of relationship we will have with them coming up in the next year. So, because yeah. it's going to be, we're not looking for this show to come back in 2023. We're looking for this show yeah. to come back 2024 at the earliest. I assume. Uh, so who knows? And like, you know, sometimes we do that. Like, uh, Jim, uh, I left the Better Call Saul show because I just wasn't feeling it. And mm-hmm. we subbed in another and, you know, finished it off with style. Jim heading up that show. And I think that. It always works better if you can find someone that's that's more passionate about something that can yeah. give it a fair shake and is not like, you know, it's one thing to be fair and and and, and uh, balanced and, and critical of a show. It's another to be like, I just kind of don't want to be here and yeah. I'm forced to talk yeah. about this. I'm forced to watch this thing two, maybe three times and talk <sighs> about it for an hour, hour and a half. Like that never makes it better for you. So like and, gym- and I, I can always be the former, right? I can always be professional. I can always be judging it sure. based on its own merits, but I can't always be excited about a thing. And I just wasn't that excited. Fan. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's... um. We'll, we'll see. And I, and I like I would be surprised if their tone is like we don't need to learn anything. We need to do better. Uh, right. Or we don't have to do better because that's not the tone is now. But who knows mm-hmm. another 18 months what happens with people's ego when you get money and power. I do also wonder internally what Amazon Studios is saying. Yeah. Like, like are they the saying, saying, you know what, Payne McKay, no notes. You guys knocked out a park. You know, we we got 25 million people watching it. This is uh, exceeds our wildest expectations. Are they giving them pointed, you know, but useful criticism? Are they like, look, guys, uh, you got to quit. You got you got to get on this shit. And, you know, we spent five hundred fucking million (laughs) dollars and we need 15 million more households tuning into this than we're getting from you. Uh, Because, like, man, like, it seems crazy, but like there is some cost here and. Mm hmm. Because I, I said, I don't know, because like Amazon from all outward appearances was thrilled with the way this went. And they were always touting how popular the show was and what a hit it was and how many millions of people. Like, um, if, if you believe that, then it seems like they're happy. But I do wonder what what internally they they talk about. I do. It's like this show, this production so fucking crazy. So, like, we asked for screeners for this show <laughs> and we've had a pretty good relationship with Amazon Mm-hmm. Uh, studios. We got screeners for the Expanse, no problem. We've enjoyed screeners for the Boys, no problem. In fact, they've almost given us screeners for everything they've released. Period. Yeah. Whether we covered or not, without asking for it, we were officially denied the Rings of Power screeners because of all of what uh, was because of the uh, the the unprecedented interest. Like it's almost like oh, well, so many people want to cover this that no. But like that didn't seem to reflect in the popular culture. And we just got paid by Amazon Studios to advertise their official podcast that released after the (laughs) finale. So it's like there's a lot of like hurry up and wait, ready, fire, aim stuff coming from. Doesn't seem like it's a combined coherent media strategy for this show. And I wonder if they'll figure that out, too. Mm-hmm. Because it almost felt to me like because people kept on talking about like, well, it had a lot of resources, but this is still rush, rush. We had to do this fast, fast. If like they did this just to arbitrarily match House of the Dragons release date, what a fucking mistake. Right. Because right. I wonder like if they wait till the spring and they have, you know, Felicia Day in place for the official podcast and they have because mm-hmm. they they also really I, I think a lot of it was also they released this as they were. Um, completely changing the back end of the screener services and they might have just had like overhead for that. They mm-hmm. had all that. Like what if this had been different? You know, if this had been a little bit more 
unrushed and unhurried. I but like for whatever reason they wanted this fucking in the marketplace right now at the exact same time a hot D. And I don't think the comparison is flattering. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't think it would have changed my opinion on the quality of the show. It might have changed my enthusiasm level to not have competing interest. Uh, yes, with the show, but I, I don't know. And maybe I, they could have spent a little more time editing. Maybe they could have done some reshoots. Maybe they could have, you know. Uh, I mean, they they put out what they put out. I'm I'm. I can't imagine that they were dissatisfied with the show that they saw and said, yeah, go ahead and do it. Um, I would think if, if they were not a hundred percent sure of what they had, or at least felt it was, it was up to their standards that they would release it. I mean, they, they have tons of money. Well, I also want to go back and say that like, they also dick themselves over and, um, you know, keeping this arbitrary lease schedule that they have to enforce because of Thursday night football. We're like, Oh yeah. Huge. How much of huge disappointment, how much of hot these success is that regardless of whether you're watching at 6 PM or 9 PM, mm-hmm. the whole fucking country is watching this thing come out at once and yeah. immediately having the exact same experience, the exact same memes, all that kind of stuff versus this show is going to be out at midnight. Kind of whenever it, the it, Thursday night effectively football game is it's going to be out. Friday after work for the East Coast, and it's going to be out Thursday night for the West Coast, right? Uh, that, that's yeah, effectively like what that schedule is. You're ripping the country in half in terms mm-hmm. of the memes they're indulging in, in terms of people screaming at them for spoilers and all that kind of stuff. You're actively discouraging your fans from participating in it, and I feel like that's another thing they got to get fixed because when I look at like the impact that the boys had, maybe not the Expanse, because the Expanse, I don't know what happened to that, but like. There's a lot more memes and stuff in Expanse because, or the boys, because the boys release about seven, eight o'clock every night. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's supposed to be coming out mid, but they always released it like, you know, like at that seven, eight p.m. And again, the whole country gets to kind of watch it that evening. And then you, re- I, I just feel like that was a big missed opportunity too. So there's a lot of rooms, to, a lot of room to improve in the timing, in the taking your time, in the, your positioning your show to succeed in the week, and you know. Because, because yeah, like releasing stuff on Friday night is kind of a problem anyway. Because like you get the the whole weekend is kind of this black hole. Where Sunday night, it's like it's the last thing people see before they go into work. And like Monday morning, what's everyone to talk about? Oh fuck! Did you see right what happened on them Thrones? This no, week? no, know, I like, didn't. I'm waiting until after work, so don't tell me. Right, right, right. right. It's Friday. Yeah. I'm a, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's it's little stuff like that makes the water cooler kind of burble. There were a lot of lessons to not take away from broadcast television, uh, but I feel yes. like one of them to take away is release schedules. Like they got this shit figured out. They know when people watch television. They know when people have downtime and uptime. Release around the standard broadcast television release times. Why aren't you doing yeah. this? Like the prime time is prime time, whether it's internet mm-hmm. streaming or whether it's, it's convenient for people sitting on your watch. couch in front of your cable box. Like yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. People have time to watch it then. So release it's it. One then. of the reasons I think sports are still so popular is because like it's the, one of the few things that we come together as a people to watch at the exact same time. Like you're watching an NFL, you're watching an NBA finals. You know that you and tens of millions of other people are having the exact same fucking experience at the mm-hmm. same time. And you're vested in and yeah, when you got stuff that's like it's just splitting up. Like I think Thursdays at midnight is the worst time you could release it. <laughs> it's pretty bad, yeah. 
Like Sunday at midnight would be better. Monday at midnight would be better. Like this is just such a cultural graveyard. Like, you know, the Friday spot used to be the kiss of death on network television. Uh, you know, because like, you know, who the fuck stays home to watch TV on Friday night? Whereas yeah. Sunday, that's when everyone does. It's a school. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of lessons Amazon Studios can learn um, about promotion and, and, and keeping the water cooler fed and, you know, even being maybe more selective about how they do their screeners and stuff or a little bit more, you know, smarter and, and, and uh, coordinated about that stuff and their official podcast, things like that. So a lot of things for them to learn. If they really um, want to compete with HBO, what they need to do is schedule it to come out the same uh, time on the calendar uh, as as House of the Dragon next season and schedule it to come out at 8.30 p.m. on Sunday night. Ooh. <laughs> so you're like daring people to like, uh-huh. you, you're going to, yeah, like you're you're already a half hour into it. You're going to really switch right? off the thrones. You're going right? to not start rings. Even though that's, <laughs> that would be really strong. That would be <laughs> Come on, <laughs> do really it. Take it to him. Yeah. You need to, you need to get the orc. You need to get the orc makeup on <laughs> and you get your release schedule straight. Uh I think that'll do it for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, we might the we might do some off season stuff. I'm not going to commit to it, but if there's big news, uh, we might resurrect this thread to discuss. Like, you know, when we get a date, we get some uh, hot trailer stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Almost assuredly, we'll probably be teaming up with the the Lorehounds again in some capacity next next season. Um, we'll have to see again what what their what their plans are, but but I, I have I have high hopes, and I hope they do enough uh, with the trailers and stuff to to win Jim back too, because you know he's always always my preferred podcast buddy, but sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sure. Sometimes he turns he 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 pulls a halberd and turns into the deceiver and is mm-hmm. tricksy and false. But uh, <laughs> a lot of people discovered us. A lot of people got a new fans from this this the the Rings of Power feed. And if you're like I would like to hear more of what you're talking about. Uh, we're in a kind of a transition period here at Bald Move because we are finishing up our coverage of The Walking Dead. It's going mm-hmm. to be over at the end of the season. We're currently finishing up our uh, coverage of the House of the Dragon. We've been talking about that a lot. Um, there is some question marks in our future about what we'll be covering in, in the you know after after Walking Dead. I know next year we're looking forward to Foundation season two. We're looking forward to. Yellow Jacket season two. We're looking forward to Succession season two. No, uh, no, an- Severance season two. <laughs> Severance. Don't want to start that crap. Succession uh-huh. season four is something we probably will not be covering. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're excited about Severance season two. Uh, there's an outside chance, like there's a new Justified project. Speaking of second stage ignitions, right? That'd be something we were interested in, in covering. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff, but I can't tell you like oh, the and Last this year. Of Us. Oh yeah, Last of Us is probably day one cover. Uh, Twenty twenty three. This year before before we before the year closes out, we're going to be covering eighteen ninety nine. I think it's in next month, mid November. Mid yeah. yeah, the seventeenth of November. We're going to start don't talking recognize about that. That is the prequel sequel to uh, Netflix's Dark, mm-hmm. which is one of the better time travel series I've ever seen. One of the better really good, puzzle really box series production. too. Like if you if you wished for better puzzle box mystery stuff, that's the show it's, for it. It's a hell of a puzzle box, and I'm really looking forward to getting back in that universe. So yeah, that's that's coming up in the immediate future too. Uh, we also got lots of really fun uh, holiday content coming up. Uh, 
It's it's a it's a, you know we're 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 a fun place to hang around. If you want to uh, keep following us, uh, twitter.com slash bald moves the best way to kind of keep up. You know we're we're pretty good follow. We don't uh, junk up your timeline. Just pretty much keep it about our releases and what's coming up and stuff like that. Uh, so I recommend you follow us there. Um, also. If you want to get like if you really like our coverage of fantasy and zombies and science fiction stuff, it's real easy to subscribe to Bald Move Pulp, which is where we collect all that stuff. And if you like the more serious things like uh, Better Call Saul, The Leftovers, um, you know, I don't man, Severance is going to be tough because it's a sci fi show, but it's really prestige. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out Bald Move Prestige, because the other thing is we do movies, you know, we're doing prestige movies uh and doing first round movies like we'll be seeing Wakanda forever in a couple of weeks. We just saw Black Adam. So we're always doing cool stuff. Uh, bald move. This is how you've discovered us. Um, yeah. Uh, continue your journey with us. Uh, we're not shutting down until Rings of Power season two. That's for sure. But yeah. Uh, thanks for being with us. We appreciate you, you, you joining us for our coverage. We'll see you sometime in 2024, if not before. And until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you. See you.